Ladies and gentlemen, fellas, 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 welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to the podcast version as well. The PGA is back. Another million dollars going to first after we just had a million dollars going to first over the weekend in the MMA. And I'm expecting big things for this four-day event, as always, at the Colonial, the Charles Schwab Classic. Million dollars, million maker to first. Welcome him. Take your shoes off. Relax. We're going to break down into this thing. We got golf back. I cannot be more excited right now. Let's get into it. Welcome if you're brand new here. My name is Sal Vetri. I cover fantasy sports, the daily fantasy sports, a little bit of sports betting in a variety of different sports. We're talking PGA today, the return of the PGA, and it's welcomed by none other than huge prize pools. Not only 100K to first or or millions of first, multiple 100K to first. I think I counted 10 different contests and tournaments that have $25,000 to first or more. They're running a little promos with the low round of the day gets an extra 50 grand for that specific day. If you own that player, you'll probably make like two bucks. But at the end of the day, it's just nice little things. It's nice that we have the PGA back. So welcome. If you are new here, I will have my rankings. I will have all of my models that are completely revamped. All the pricing ranges will go through today. I'm going to be calling out a target in each range. Maybe a guy that I'm steering clear of right now, as I record this on Sunday afternoon, we got these salaries way early. There was a first look video. If you want to check that out, I discussed some of the basics, I believe as well in that one to PGA DFS. But in this one, we're going to do a little bit of a breakdown. And then the schedule is Wednesday. I'll be coming back here live on YouTube to discuss, take questions, really a Q&A chat for 30, 45 minutes from the chat itself. So you're going to drive that, the interaction. And then also on Wednesday on Patreon only, I'll be doing the Closing Thoughts podcast, which talks about ownerships, which talks about my specific targets and reasons why. So you can get that on Patreon, link down below, as well as with the Closing Thoughts podcast, all the models, the rankings, all those things will be down below, as well as a lot of other sports that are currently coming back and going on right now, included in that Patreon package. Go ahead, get it linked down below. Another thing to call out is that this video is sponsored by drafters.com, our good friends over at drafters.com. And since the PGA is back, their golf product is back as well with a brand new format. And I'm actually excited to kind of preview this at the end of this video. So stay tuned for that. But their new format is going to be a rankum style. There's a similar format over on DraftKings. I know there's a, a niche group of people that really like the rankings format, but the rankings format for this one, and there's a great contest. So if you want to play for free, you can go play totally for free over at Drafters right now. But if you want to put some money in, take advantage of the promo code offer. You get a 100% deposit match up to $50 using the promo code on the screen below. But if you're listening on the podcast, it's Sal100. SAL100 lets them know that you came from me and this show. But you can go over there and check out their big contest $6,000 guaranteed, $2,000 to first. It's a $22 buy in. It's only a 300 person field. These are the field sizes that I personally like if you watch my content. I know the Millie Makers out there. I know that you want to play it and it's totally fine to play it and it's, it's great, but you're probably not going to win it. But when there's 300 people in a contest, it feels very, very good and very comfortable that you have a chance to win, especially if you can take 10 of those lineups in there. You can max this thing out with 10. It's $22 to enter, $6,000 guaranteed 2k to first check it out it's their new tiers format and we're going to preview it at the end of this video if you want to check out where i'm kind of going early in the week with this tiers approach so without further ado let's get into it hit the big old like button big old subscribe button just popped up on the screen and the notification bell and with that said let's get into a little bit of a course breakdown for this contest so the course is the colonial country club the colonial cc it's going to be a par 70 and it's about 7200 yards just nine yards over 7200 it's going to be bent grass i believe the greens are still bent grass out there now filtering through some of the stuff on fantasy national on some of the stuff on pga tour it seems to be that ball striking and approach are going to matter here and why does that matter and why is it a little bit better here or, or matters a little bit more here well driving doesn't matter it's a shorter course and there's a lot of tree-lined fairways so what you're getting there is bombers losing their ball more often and with no fans at this event that's maybe 
maybe possibly something that happens even more, maybe even more penalties, maybe even more penalty for the Bombers. So since it's a little bit of a shorter course, just about 7,200 yards, you're going to rely more on your second shot and then your third shot. So your second shot for most people is going to be their ball striking abilities. And then obviously your approach can either be that specific second shot if it's going to be uh, your par threes, if it's going to be obviously your par really fours for the most part, and then your par fives on your approach, things like that. So that's going to stand out a little bit as well. So approach play, ball striking for me probably stand out the most on this one. Putting is always kind of have his weighted out here as for top 10 finishers to be very important. That's going to be for the most part, like if you have a good putting week, you're probably going to end up in the top 10, right? So that's just normal. And that's something that's going to really kind of carry every single place that you go. So key stats here for me are going to be uh, approach, ball striking, and then approach between 150 and 175 yards stands out and par fours between 400 and 450 yards stand out. Another thing to point out is this course plays pretty difficult because of those tree line fairways. The last two years, it's been windy. So that skews it a little bit, but because of that, be sure to check out the wind since they're playing it around the same exact time. So gaining fairways becomes a lot more difficult because of the tree lines, because of the harder course conditions. So keep an eye on the wind. If there's going to be any wind, that can be a factor as well. So before we go range by range, another interesting thing is that the first and second holes on this course are the two easiest on the entire course, at least dating back to last year and on average after the last couple of years. So if you have a golfer starting on the front nine and he's balling out minus two, minus three, even because there's a par five on there through the first couple of holes, it's probably an abnormality compared to the back nine. So don't get too crazy if you have a golfer on the back nine and they start to struggle or they're not just picking up birdie after birdie on the first two holes. The first two holes play the easiest. The first hole on the back nine, I believe, is actually the second most difficult. So there is a decent array there for guys to get out to hot starts, depending on which side of the course they're going to be starting on that day. So with all this said, let me zoom in now to the chart above me. And we're going to be looking at least on this specific screen at the 8K and above range. And then we'll go through the different seven, six and the the low 6K range as well. And I'm just going to really discuss some players that stand out. I've marked some interest here, but these are nowhere near my complete interest as I zoom right in right now on these players. And we're going to start at the top with Rory McIlroy, because why would you not start with Rory McIlroy? The only spot where he maybe struggles is putting, which is kind of up and down for everybody. And he still ranks 35th in that department. He's the number one player in the world right now. And it shouldn't shock you that he's number one in tee to green. He's number one in ball striking. He's number one when it comes to off the tee and number one in strokes gain total. What did I say that I'm looking at the most here? Approach play? Yeah, check the box. He ranks fourth there. A tee to green play is important everywhere. Yeah, he's first there. Ball striking? Yeah, that's number one ball striker in the entire field is Rory McIlroy. When you want to look back at Rory McIlroy in his starts this season, he's had four starts on tour third, fifth, fifth, and fifth. And he's been in contention coming into the weekend, been in contention after the first round and pretty much every single one of these contests. He has finished top five or better in his last seven on tour events. And that includes winning the WGC back in November and winning the tour championship back in last August. The man has not missed a cut in quite some time. Maybe he's due and maybe this is the, the three month layoff is actually the time when it actually comes into effect here. But the big thing that actually stands out is the price point. You know how good Rory is. I don't really have to break down into the numbers, even though we did. So Rory for me, he's in play because there's going to be a lot of cheaper golfers it's a loaded field. And whenever it's, it might be the most loaded non-major event in quite some time, like better than the WGCs because of how deep this field actually goes. I think around 138 total golfers. So it's going to stand out as a really nice field overall. And with that being said, you're going to have cheaper players just like you do when you have majors. So getting to Rory is a little bit easier, but he's still very expensive. He's likely to carry a good amount of ownership because of just how safe his floor has been for really the past year of just top five finishes. So at 11,800, yeah, I'm not enamored with getting to Rory. If anything, I lean to fade him just because I assume the ownership will be high not fading him. Oh my God, Tal, you don't like the talent. I love the talent. We all know how good Rory is, but you fade him because of one, the price point combined with the ownership. I do think that this week though, it's a little bit easier to play him when it comes to price point. So the main difference in fading him, if he's 25% owned, I think I might end up getting less. Some weeks I go and just say, you know what? I'm just going to have 50% Rory, ride or die on Rory in this one. But I think I like some other expensive options to want to get there. I have a couple of guys at least right now that are profiling out a little bit better. And one of those guys is the guy who's next up, who's been maybe just as consistent as Rory McIlroy. Sure. He finished 17th at the Genesis this year, but if you look back at his starts this year, year. He 
has a second at the hero, if you want to date all the way back to December, a 10th at the tour champion, smaller field, second at the farmers, a ninth, a 17th, and then third at the WGC, not other than the second ranked golfer in the world, nine to one odds to win this thing in John Rom. Look, John Rom's $800 cheaper. And if the ownership difference is pretty big, maybe 20% Rory, 25% Rory to 15, 16% John Rom, I just like John Rom more. In general, he's actually ranked higher for me right now. You're looking at his overall play right now. Obviously, he's fantastic across the board. Number three in overall strokes gain, seventh when it comes to T to green. He excels in ball striking, seventh ranked there as well. And if you just look at his past contest, his T to green game, he's gained strokes T to green in every event except for one, which was the Genesis, where he ended up still finishing top 20 at 17th overall. Every single event since last May's Charles Schwab Classic, where he actually did struggle a little bit. Now, this might boost down his ownership a little bit because last year at the Charles Schwab, he missed a cut. But the two previous years, a T5 and a T2. I'm not too worried about the Charles Schwab missed cut last year. He struggled a lot of different areas. He struggled on approach, which mattered last year. 3.1 strokes lost on approach. He struggled T to green overall, 4.3. So John Rahm missing the cut last year, him being priced between JT and, and Rory and a pretty significant price difference between the two of those guys, 400 and 800, at least for these top tiered guys. If Rory's going to pick up the ownership here, John Rahm will actually be my favorite golfer of the big three, at least right now. And I don't want to break down every single golfer in every single range, but it's at least important to touch on uh, the beast mode himself, if you will, in the name of golf and Bryson DeChambeau, the man who has been loading up a little bit. And honestly, Bryson, although he was continuing to trend in a great direction when it comes to off the tee game, I mean, let's talk about his off the tee game. Ready? 7.2 strokes gained, 6, 3.8, and 5.4 in his last four events. He was really starting to come on. That was the four events that he's actually played in this season. He finished 52nd in his first start at Waste Management, but then three straight top five finishes. He's been in contention, especially at the WGC where he finished second, Genesis at T5, and then he finished fourth at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Bryson just been balling. And obviously the three-month layoff, I should at least mention that the way that I'm kind of uh, waiting this right now is I'm going to keep long-term form pretty much the same, maybe date it back an extra little bit of a sample, wait it a little bit more. And then the short-term form, I'm going to keep a little bit shorter. So instead of trying to look at short-term form as maybe a month, I'm really going to break it down into like a two to three-week span because I want to capture guys who are trending in the right direction like Bryson and guys who are just sucking like maybe DJ, maybe a guy like uh, Molinari. So I want to make sure that I have that recent form in there as well, but I also want the long-term form to kind of outweigh it a little bit since we have three months off. I'm not going to try and pinpoint it and say, this guy on Twitter did this. I'm going to wait him better. No, I'm, I'm flatlining all of them. I'm not going to wait recent form as much, but I still want to wait it a little bit, but I don't want it to overskew a ton of stuff because they've had three months off. So I want to look at more of their historical form more so than I usually would. It's not major tweaks. It's maybe like a 10% tweak in my model, but that's going to end up affecting things. So Bryson for me is somebody that I do want to have a piece of. Off the tee game is not going to matter here as much. And that's where Bryson becomes a little bit less interesting to me because he's not that great of an approach player. 58th overall. When you look at his approach play recently though, before the break, he was playing very well. 3.5, 2.3, and 3.5 strokes gained on approach in those three contests. So that is something that does stand out to me. The approach play does stand out. I think it's going to be a necessity here. When you look at his ball striking, he's a fine ball striker as well when it comes down to it. So this is somebody in Bryson DeChambeau that I'm okay ending up getting to. Uh, it's just a situation that out of all these guys above 10K, John Rahm's actually the one who stands out the most to me. Uh, evidently the guy who ended up missing the cut last year, as well as Bryson missing the cut here last year as well. So give me John Rahm out of these guys. It does not mean I'm going to have 0% of the rest of them, but that's just the one guy I'll pinpoint. The 9K range is loaded and I'll go very deep into it on the Patreon and also answer anybody's questions on Wednesday, the Patreon show on Wednesday, and also the YouTube stream on Wednesday. But a couple of names do stand out. Uh, the first one that I'll kind of point out is a group of two different guys. Xander Shoffley, somebody who's been performing well. I mean, so far his finishes this year have been 16th, 23rd, 14th, and 24th. Those are all really nice finishes, but when he's usually priced in this 9K range, it's not paying off his price tag for you. But the thing with Xander is he's been very good. He's gaining off the tee, on approach, around the green, tee to green. His big thing right now is just his short game. His putting has not been good. He's lost strokes putting right now in his last 10 contests. On average, he's losing strokes barely, but he lost strokes at the WGC Mexico. Still finished 
finished 14th after losing pretty much three strokes. He lost 1.3 strokes the week before that, one stroke the week before that. So it's just been all over the place. He can't patch the game completely together, and normally it's the putter letting him down. We saw right before break at the WGC, he finishes 24th while gaining 5.7 strokes putting. How does he finish 24th, Sal? He loses over two strokes around the green. He loses over a stroke off the tee. So he's just not putting the game together. Usually it's the putter that's been letting him down as of late, but even when he got that to click, he ended up letting it down around the green and tee to green. So Xander's a special talent. The price tag at 9,600, I do think you can start your lineups there and feel good about it. This is a guy who has his game pretty much clicking on all cylinders. It's just every single week, one thing goes wrong. If there's one guy in the entire tour that I think just zones out everything, including three months of being on quarantine, it might be Dustin Johnson. And Dustin Johnson, similar to Xander, although a little bit more severe than Xander, has been having putting issues for a pretty long time. He's losing on average over a stroke putting over his last 10 contests, and he lost 6.2 strokes putting in that WGC event right before the break. But he still has two top 10 finishes. Sure, one of them was at the Tour of Champions, very small field event, but he had a 10th at the Genesis where he actually gained strokes everywhere. 1.7 strokes game putting, 6.3 strokes tee to green. So he's been very good in that department. But uh, before that, before he had a good showing at the Genesis with the putter, he lost strokes putting and I believe nine out of his previous 10 events. So that's going to be the issue with him. This is a situation where, yeah, you're obviously going to need to putt to win. You're not going to win the thing. But at this price tag, Xander and Dustin Johnson really do seem super interesting to me in the 9K range because both of their games, for the most part, I mean, Xander's much more is clicking than Dustin Johnson's, but they're both relying on the putter at this point. We know long-term, you're looking back and really historically, these guys are both fine putters. So maybe a little bit of a break here. You can try and swing it, swing the narrative for these guys, since we like them and we're trying to swing the narrative. Hey, it's going to help these guys out. But no, really, I think that Xander really does stand out as a guy that I like in this range. And then DJ, I'm going to be on. Sanjay, the recent winner, a guy who looked like he was going to win right again after that. So Sanjay for me is somebody that at 9,300, I will always have a piece of. And then a guy very similar to Sanjay at this week. And I think a lot of lineups might actually start with Sanjay M and Colin Morikawa, guys who have been very consistent, guys who always carry ownership. Morikawa has had at least 15% ownership or more in every single event this year, including two events where he had 25% ownership. Absolutely insane. But he's been good. The man just hasn't missed a cut, obviously. And then this year, you're getting consistent top 25 finishes. His best event was the last event that he played in a ninth overall at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, where he actually lost 2.4 strokes with the putter. Similar to a lot of these other guys, his putter has not been good. And that's something that we historically know. Just in general, his last 20 contests, he loses a stroke putting. So the putter has not been good, but he's just world class in so many different areas, including on approach. The number one approach player in this entire field is Colin Morikawa. He's number three tee to green. He's number four ball striking. If you get a decent week out of him around the green putting, he struggles there. If you get a half decent week, and that means literally that he loses a stroke putting, right? Instead of losing five or six strokes putting, if he loses one stroke putting, there's a really good chance he's finishing within the top 20. There's a really good chance that he has an upside to win this thing and finish top 10. Colin Morikawa at 9,100. I assume right now he's going to be one of the highest owned golfers, if not the highest owned golfer in this field. So for me, that worries me a little bit. For me, that does scare me. If I know that he's going to be the highest owned guy, it's a really good price tag, but I'll just pivot to Sunjay M if he's not his own. I'll pivot to some of these guys in the AK range, or I'll just start my lineup with Xander and Dustin Johnson and not take Colin Morikawa in that specific lineup to just try and get away from the ownership a little bit. So this 9K range is loaded. I think it's a really nice spot to start your lineups, but it'll all depend on ownership. If I had to guess, Sunjay M and Morikawa likely come in with ownership. Patrick Reed sandwiched in between them. Looks like a really good guy. Top 10 ranked player in the world. Eighth overall. Looks like a great option when it comes to contrarian plays in GPPs. So Reed is a contrarian option. Dustin Johnson and Xander, I do like a 
good amount as well as guys who stand out in that range. The guy who stands out the most for me right now in the 8K range is going to be Tony Finau. Tony Finau has been good and he's also been a guy who picks up ownership. So I think there's a really strong chance that Kyle Morikawa, Sanjay, and Tony Finau pick up ownership in this low 9 to high 8K range. And it just leaves guys like Gary Woodland. It leaves guys like Justin Rose, Patrick Reed, not picking up as much ownership. All those guys quickly, quickly, quickly become the pivots in really strong options. You have Tony Finau being owned in 20% or more lineups in three out of his last four GPPs that he's actually played in. And he's had a good year. And the last time that we saw him on March 8th at the Arnold Palmer, he didn't miss the cut. His putter just blew up. Yeah, he ended up losing five strokes putting. And the putter's been, if anything, the long-term issues with Tony Finau. Now, when you're looking across the board, he's a good approach player, ranks 12th in that department, 5th to green, and then he overall ranks 7th in the department of around the green play. So Tony Finau right now at 8,700 stands out the most to me. He finished T2 here last year. I do think in the 8K range, though, he's going to be a guy who, based on his course history last year, based on how he's been trending this year, finished second at the Waste Management, finished sixth at the Farmers. He currently has four top 15 finishes dating back to the Hero last December. And that's four of his last six events have been top 15, top 16 finishes on the PGA Tour. So he's looked very good. I think he's going to carry the most ownership. Pivot for me there at Tony Finau, because he stands out the most to me. It doesn't mean I have to love him. It's just because he stands out the most to me, which means he's likely going to be higher owned, is a guy right above him, 8,800 Gary Woodland, fifth overall in approach, eighth overall in ball striking. My two key stats right there. And a guy who I think is going to come in with at least a little bit less ownership than Tony Finau, maybe even like 10% less. So Gary Woodland, if Finau is going to be owned, at least in the 8K range, will be my pivot there. And then not a lot of guys that I like down here. I don't really, really want to play Jordan Spieth. I'm not going to fall into that trap. His approach play is terrible. His ball striking is is absolutely terrible. That's just not things that I want to mix together here. Louis, I don't usually get to. Fitzpatrick, I don't usually get to when he's above 8K. Jason Day, I'm not taking a risk on that. I do think guys that I do like in this range are Matt Kuchar and Scotty Scheffler. Scheffler might seem a little bit expensive in a loaded field, to be honest with you. I question the win upside in this type of a field. And Matt Kuchar at 8,500, he's just a nice value, but we're used to him being like 8K flat. But I see his price tag and I say, you know what? I might just shoot for the win upside. And obviously Kuchar has it, but not as much as of late. So I might just shoot for the win upside and go up to guys like Gary Woodland, Patrick Reed, those types of names. So before we go along to the 7K range, take a second, smash the like button and tap that subscribe button and really just pound the subscribe button. Big old one popped up on the screen. Thank you so much for doing that. And check out Patreon. The rankings will be up there. The Closing Thoughts podcast will be going out on Wednesday, the same exact day that'll do a live stream here. So you can go ahead. You can check that stuff out. Linked down below. You can get access to a bunch of different sports as well. Things that I cover in the DFS landscape. Thank you so much for tuning into this one. Let's get to the 7K range. In the 7K range for guys 7,400 and above, the guy who stands out to me personally the most is Max Homa. And I know everybody wants to play Benny Ann and everybody's going to continue to try and play Benny Ann. And I get it. Everybody loves Benny Ann because he's elite in so many departments, right? He's a overall second ranked player when it comes to around the green. He's a top five T to green player, which is such an important stat. But you know, what stinks about Benny Ann is he's a bottom five overall putter in this entire field. He ranks 134th overall. He's terrible there. He's fine on approach. So he does set up at this spot, at least nicely, a top 25 player when it comes to approach, top 20 when it comes to ball striking, some of the key stats that I'm looking at. So if you want to go to Benny Ann, I can't, I can't knock you for it. You can obviously go and get some Benny Ann. I personally, if he's going to be highly owned, like he usually is, I'm going to pivot hundred dollars more and get up to guys like Max Hama, the one who stands out the most for me, a guy who rarely carries ownership, had 15% at the AT&T, where he actually had, I believe his worst finish or one of his worst finishes. And that was only 14th. He's finished top 25 or better at every single start since the Farmers, which has been five straight starts. Those finishes, ninth, sixth, 14th, fifth, and 24th overall. He finished 24th overall at the Arnold Palmer while losing over four strokes around the green. Max Homa, if you're going to wait his long-term, which a lot of that stuff is going to be factored in, he's not going to pop up for you because just long-term, he hasn't been great. It's really been the short-term, the last six things. So he's more of a risky option. But because of that, I think his ownership, especially since he's around the guy who won last year in Kevin Knott, he's around another guy in Kevin Kisner who won three years ago at this course. Harris English, who had success here, finished second in 2016. All these guys with course history here, while Max Hama's only course history as of late was 27th last year. 
I think that Max Hama, Max Homa, whatever you want to say, I think that he actually has a lot of upside based on the short term form, depending on how you want to rank it there. I might be waiting in a little bit more because I'm biased to the man because I've been riding this heater on his, of his. So that's me personally. You can decide what you want to do there. Benny Ann is a fine option. As always, he's going to be cheap and he has the upside to do it. It's just that his putter sucks. And when I say it's bad, it's just really bad. He ends up losing four and a half strokes putting over his last five rounds. He's always around like consistently losing two strokes any contest that he's in if you're on a good side, right? That's his average. Like let's look at recent contests. Loses nine point strokes putting at the Arnold Palmer. Gains 1.2 at the Honda. Loses six at the WGC Mexico. Loses 1.4. Loses 7.2. Loses 1.7. Loses two. Loses two, right? This guy is just not good with the putter. Maybe the break has actually helped him because he's been absolutely dynamite tee to green. He's a top 20 player when it comes to approach and his approach game was really clicking and that's going to matter here, right? He gained six strokes on approach at the Arnold Palmer. He's gained strokes on approach in his last five contests, either gained or went net neutral with zero in his last five contests. So Benny Ann, yeah, if he's not going to be owned, then fine, I'll get some Benny Ann because he does profile nicely here. But there's one big caveat is that his short game absolutely stinks when it comes to putting, even though he's the biggest troll because he's around the green play is so, so good. But when I'm looking at it right now, he's been owned at 14% or higher in his last five contests, including two contests there, a courtesy of Fantasy National. Check them out, their website. In two of those last five, he's been 20% or higher owned. So I just know Benny Ann, the DFS community loves him. He's going to be 15% owned and he might even push 20% on at this price tag. That's the case. I'm just going to fade him. You don't have to fade him if you feel strongly about him. There's game theory behind it. I'm just not going to end up playing the guy. I'll go up to Max Hama. There's so many guys around this range, right? Max Hama, Harris English, Kevin Kisner, Kevin Na, Daniel Berger. All these guys stand out to me. Why go to the guy who's probably going to come in 15% or higher owned with so much variance and so much terrible putting in his name? You could even go down to guys like Billy Horschel, right? You can go to get down to some of the other younger players. You could even go to some other $7,400 names in Neiman, Wolf, Horschel, right? They're, none of those are that attractive to me, but if you wanted to say the exact same price point because you have no money left on the table, there are some actual direct pivots off of him. I'll scroll down a lot more, and I think that one name that I can actually pull out for you, there's a lot of names down here. You can see all these X's means I have interest in them right now. I'll pull down my player pool and I'll kind of uh, shorten it down, and I'll talk about that in the Patreon podcast on Wednesday. And I'll call out maybe Benny Ann Light, or maybe he's even better than Benny Ann. He just hasn't flashed it as much. And Corey Connors at this point, who's 66 ranked in the world, who has 150 to 1 odds to win this thing. Sad success here, finishing top top 10 two years ago. He's made the cut in back-to-back years. And what you're looking at is just a guy who is pretty consistent in, in a lot of different areas. He's top 15 when it comes to approach and tee to green. He's a beast off the tee. When it comes to the ball striking, he's also going to be ranking very nicely there. I mean, you can throw a lot of these guys into the exact same category of Emmanuel Grillos, right? Of the Corey Connors, of the Benny Ann's as guys who can get it done when it comes to tee to green, when it comes to approach, when it comes to ball striking, and their short game is just absolutely dreadful. So Corey Connors, for me, he's just cheaper than Benny Ann. And if he comes in with less ownership, I'll go there. And he usually, does. Corey Connors has been below 10% owned in three out of his last four contests. And the one that he wasn't, he was 10.6% owned in the big contest. So he's a guy that's Benny Ann's skill set, in my opinion, Benny Ann's skill set, not as elite tee to green, but pretty close to it for the price point of 7,100. Just as bad with the putter. Honestly, I think he's a little bit better with the putter. And yeah, when I say a little bit better, he's ranked 133rd and Benny Ann's ranked 134th. So that's crazy. But he's just a guy who's likely going to be cheaper and lower owned. And he's $300 cheaper with a little bit of a success here in the past. So I'll take Corey Connors there. If you're trying to just look at recently, like when the guy hits a putting green, you just have to be absolutely terrified because if you're trying to look at what he's done, he's lost strokes putting in his last five contests. And it's not just losing like a half a stroke. He's lost 6.1, 2 3.2, 3.2, right? This is just absolutely terrible. But the one event where he gains strokes and he goes 5.1 strokes gain, he goes nuclear over the putter. He finishes 12th at the Sony, right? In this, in these contests where he's actually losing all these strokes, he's been terrible. He's, he's been cutting three out of his last four events. And the one that he wasn't WGC and no cut event, he finishes 50th. So yeah, Corey Connors has been bad. You can tell me, but Sally's been so bad. I understand that, but I'm p- taking the exact same or very similar 
similar talent profile to Benny Anna trying to match it up here in a course that matters and likely going to get lower ownership and definitely a cheaper price point. So there's a lot of names in that department. Let's go to the 6K range now where one of my favorite plays on the entire slate whenever he's usually on the slate is because he's always so cheap and he's below $7,000. Lonto Griffin is going to be my choice here. And for some reason, he's just never as owned as he should be. His last two contests, he's been 10% or higher, but barely at pretty much 11%. But then he was in the single digits for pretty much every other time that you saw Lonto so far this year. And Lonto comes in at 6,900. He has 125 to one odds to win this thing. So maybe even then he's a couple hundred dollars too cheap. And his season's been up and down. He finished 13th at the Tour of Champions, top 10 at the Sony, misses two cuts, then finishes ninth at the AT&T. And he's made three straight cuts with decent finishes for you, especially when it comes to just his birdie or better numbers. If he's down here finishing 35th, at 6,900, he's going to be finishing very, very good in drafting scoring because he's usually a guy who will drive birdies and he's very good when it comes to birdie or better. And he's just an all around solid player, top 50 in approach, top 30 when it comes to putting, hence the birdie or better numbers. When it comes to his overall numbers, strokes gain total, he's 33rd. So he's going to rank that nicely, even though he's all the way down price in this 6K range. The putter has been fine as of late. He did lose five strokes at the WGC, but other than that, it's just pretty much a blimp on the radar. Lanto at 6,900 provides a lot of upside when it comes to birdie or better, provides a lot of upside when it comes to making the cut, which is just what you want here after the Friday cut. That's all you want uh, really out of these guys. And then you get upside after that. So Lanto at 6,900 is probably my favorite 6K option on the entire slate. And it might not be that close right now. Now there's a lot of other guys, Victor Perez, we don't see all that often on the tour and he's ranked highly, but he never really usually shocks anybody when he does play over here on the tour. So there's a lot of other names, Charles Howell, RCB, other names around him. Uh, you have Kevin Stillman up top, who's played here the last five years, made the cut four to five of those years. Varner. So lots of names in the 6K range, but the guy who's going to stand out the most, at least for me personally, is Lonzo. When you scroll down a little bit more, it starts to get very bad very quickly. But the very bad is not anywhere near as bad as most contests. Like you're getting guys around $6,500. Well, Putnam's at 6,800. He finished T3 here last year. I'll call out Andrew Putnam as a guy that I also do like at this spot. Uh, Nick Watney finished top 10 here last year. I do like Nick Watney for the price point of 6,700. But now you're starting to get down here. Another guy who stands out because he's similar to Lanto. He's just not as consistent in terms of he picks up a lot of DraftKings scoring numbers. He's usually pretty good with the putter, although as of late before the break, he was struggling there. But Carlos Ortiz is another guy that I look at. He did miss the cut here last year, but he's pretty solid when it comes to approach, pretty solid when it comes to ball striking, putting, all those things as well. So Ortiz and Vaughn Taylor are the exact same price point. I have interest in both of those guys as well. I'll get to the below $6,500 range right now. And honestly, I'm just, I'm not going to really have anybody. I don't have any interest here right now. A lot of these names really start to fall off the cliffs. You see Chase and Hadley, you see Tyler Duncan is some names that stand out. If you really want the old guys and Steve Stricker, you can end up getting to Steve Stricker. Bill Haas is down here at $6,100. Scott Harrington is $6,100, right? A bunch of older players who upside is probably not there, but all you want out of these guys below 6,500 is to please, please, please make the cut. And you have the number one around the green player in this tournament down here. And you know who it is? It is the old man himself, Steve Strickler. You do have a guy in Brian Stewart who's 10th and around the green play, who's 31st when it comes to putting. So there are guys who actually rank pretty nicely down here, right? They're going to, it's going to happen in one spot or another. But when it comes to guys who are pretty good at ball striking and pretty good at approach, you won't find a lot of those guys getting both of those key stats. Andrew Landry, all the way up at the top at 6,400 is one of them who will qualify as a top 50 player in both of those areas. But outside of that, there's not much more outside of guys that just have smaller samples. So that's where I'm at right now with this stuff. Those are the the lower range guys. We'll pull it back up to this sheet. So that's just a, a brief half hour or so, 25 minute breakdown of this. If you want my final thoughts on Patreon on Wednesday with my rankings for the golfers and these specific stat sheets, we'll talk about ownership a little bit where my ownership percentage is going to be going for the golfers. You can get that down below on Patreon, covering a lot of stuff over there, not just the golf, although we're going to be covering that in depth. MMA is over there, all the esports, Korean baseball, all this stuff 
NFL and NBA are very close as well. So be sure to check all of that out. All right. And as promised, this is the sponsor of today's video, drafters.com. And this is their brand new tiers format. So they have a rank them format over there. They have some other contests. They have best ball contests for the NFL that have been up and running a very nice product there. I enjoy drafting with that. You've seen it in some of my mock drafts on the NFL side of my content. But what I want to look at right here is their tiers format. And I'll zoom in on it. This is just a free one. If you want to do a free one here for a pick them, a tiers format. But the way that it works is they tell you which tier a player is in, right? So you can see all the tier one golfers right here. There's probably around, if I just had a ballpark, I don't know, 15 golfers in tier one. And you could see all the names, Brooks, uh, Sanjay, Dustin, Rory, the guys that you would expect to be tier one names. You then get to choose all these different options right here. And you get to choose two players for each of tier one, tier two, and then tier three after that. And you're going to be winning based on just the low rounds that your actual golfers are going to be accumulating and the points that they score from there. So if you wanted to take a look at this, for example, it's still going to factor in a good deal of ownership. If you're choosing the exact same two tier one and tier two and tier three options, yeah, you're probably going to split prize pools if you end up winning and that just crushes your EV. So taking into account ownership is going to be a good thing for you. So guys that actually stand out to me, yes, there's no salary. So a lot of people are just going to go and plug Rory into here. And when the guy's finishing top five, like we said, all across the board, it makes sense to want to just plug Rory in there. So let's just take a look at it. If we did plug Rory in and try and get different in different spots, because Colin Morikawa, like this is going to be a popular start, ready? Rory and Colin Morikawa, that might be the most owned start that's going to be out there. And just a way to get away from that is, yeah, Colin Morikawa has been very safe, has been very good, but what is his win upside? I think the guy can win. He just finished T9 the last time we saw him, but if he finishes T20 for you and he's going to be owned in so many lineups and the most lineups, I might stay away from it. So let's look at something like maybe a Rory McIlroy and somebody else we really like was Xander, right? And this is going to be maybe another popular build just because Rory's in it. So maybe we go to Xander, who I think has win upside, and maybe then we go to Bryson, and or maybe you go away from that and you go to a guy like Dustin Johnson. But let's just go here with Bryson and Xander for right now. We then get into the tier two range, and I see my man Max Homa down here. I think that he might be a little bit owned, but usually guys don't know his name as much. So I'm going to go to Max Homa. We've talked about how I like him. And then I see Benny Ann down here. Benny Ann's going to be chalky. We talked about the disastrous factors that might be in his game. So I'm going to just stay away from Benny Ann for this format and scroll down a little bit more to the rest of the tier two options down here. I see a man in tier two in Gary Woodland, and he definitely stands out as somebody who is probably a better golfer than a lot of these names down here, like Andrew Putnam, like Ian Poulter. Obviously, you're not going for any salary caps here. So you do have Victor Hovland, a recent winner off the tour, but Gary Woodland might be the guy who stands out the most to me down here. He's probably going to stand out to a lot of people. That means Justin Rose, who is struggling a little bit, a past winner at this course. Let's go to Gary Woodland here and let's finish out our tier three now. So in tier three, I'm just going to search for him and see and hope that he's in this field right now. Lanto Griffin, we're adding tier three. It's as simple as that. Give me some Lanto Griffin and let's see who else that we can add into tier three. Matt Kuchar might be the most owned golfer because he's competing with guys like Chris Kirk and Colt Noist and guys that were on the outlaw tour, to be honest with you. So yeah, it's not much good names down here. So Kuchar, it's a game theory thing. Do you want to roll out uh, Kuchar in that department? Charles Howell III is down here. Kuchar is probably a safe guy to make the cut for you and then probably push towards a top 25 finish. So Kuchar might be a guy that you just say, you know what, I feel good about my lineup. I do see uh, Carlos Ortiz down here, but I'd rather just have Lanto in that regard. Yeah, so I think Kuchar might be the option. You can see all the different tier three options. So you really want to weed through and make sure you're not missing out on any other bigger names in here. Paul Casey, Patrick Cantley's down here. These are guys that are not in this field, at least not yet. So I would not be rostering Paul Casey or Patrick Cantley right now. So we'll go back up to the top. For the purpose of this video, we'll just throw Kuchar in there. I do think we have a relatively uh, unique lineup when we put in Max Homa, when we avoid Rory and Colin Morikawa in Sunjay in Tier 1. I think that lowers our ownership in Tier 1. In Tier 2, Gary Woodland might come in with a good amount of ownership, but I think Max Homa won't. And the fact that we don't have Benny Ann, I think it helps us there. Lanto and Matt Kuchar might be a little bit of a popular build, but I'm okay with that based on where we went different elsewhere. So be sure to check out the rankum format. It is a lot of fun. Now let's get back to the video. Thank you for tuning into this one. Be sure to check out Drafters as well. Promo code 
Sal 100. You can check out their, their best ball stuff. You can check out all their contests for golf now that their product is back up and running because the PGA is back. Sal 100 gets you 100% deposit match up to $50. Hit the like button before you go. Big old subscribe button just pops up on the screen. Be sure to check that out as well. Get into Patreon down below. And if you're interested in the NFL, my NFL uh, draft guide for the Fantasy Football 2020 season will be dropping on June 15th. So keep a close eye out for that. I have my top 25 running back rankings if you made it all the way through for free down below for you. So be sure to check out those as a sneak peek. Thank you so much for tuning into this one. My name's Sal Vetri, and I will see you in the next one.